0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Schlock Tactics, the movie podcast where we believe badder is better and aim to watch the god-awful Godzilla movies so that you don't have to. My name is Ash and I'm here today to talk to you about my favourite topic, which is Godzilla movies. Before we get into that, if you missed the last episode we did, it was a rare triple bill, we don't do this very often, uh, where we reviewed the uh, sort of psychedelic, drug-addled trilogy that Toby Hooper did for Canon films in the 80s, which was Life Force, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, and Invaders from Mars. So uh, if you want to find out more about those insane movies, go back and check out the last episode that we did in the archives. But today, since Godzilla has returned to the mainstream media with King of the Monsters movie, uh, we are going to be reviewing two of the absolute worst Godzilla films and also two Godzilla movies where his children uh, are quite key in the plot, that being Son of Godzilla from 1967 and Roland Emmerich's Godzilla from 1998, the uh, ill-fated, massive American remake in the late 90s years before we would get the... Uh, much better American versions that we're currently enjoying. So, first of all, then we will get into The Son of Godzilla. This is from 1967. Now, the Japanese Godzilla films, they are broken up into three main eras. Uh, Showa, which is the 50s, 60s and 70s. Heisei, which is the 80s and 90s. And the millennium, which is the early uh, 2000s until... The reboot here with the Godzilla 2014 and Shin Godzilla from a couple of years ago as well. So this one, uh, Son of Godzilla, is from 1967. So that's bang in the middle of the Showa era. By their own admission, the screenwriters here were running out of ideas rapidly. And they've also sort of embraced the idea that maybe Godzilla can be more of a kid's character. And something that can be sold more to children. So hence the introduction of a, of a a child version of Godzilla in this movie movie starts off like most other Godzilla movies with um, pilots out at sea and you see Godzilla show up straight away stick his head out the ocean to just make a, a quick appearance at the beginning just so you don't have to wait too long to see Godzilla um, and then we move we move quickly on to an island in the in the Pacific here where, where all of the film is going to be set so following on from the previous Godzilla film which is um, Ebera, Horror of the Deep, or Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster. This is the second Godzilla film that's going to be set entirely on an island. No smashing of skyscrapers or tiny model cars or anything like that, unfortunately, in this one. It's all kinds of jaunty music when we discover this island. Again, letting you know that this Godzilla is now a kid's movie or a kid's franchise. Basically, there's a scientific outpost um, with lots of tiny models of um, radars going around and fans and that sort of thing, and we're introduced to our crew of scientists for this film, including um, actor Akihiko Hirata, who famously played Dr. Serizawa in the very first Godzilla in 1954. He's one of our one of our main scientists here. But not long after we're introduced to the scientists, news reporter parachutes onto the island somehow ends up marooning himself on the island and refuses to leave. And he says, what are you going to do? Make me swim home? And they seem to be all right with this. And they let him stay uh, under the agreement that he does uh, cook, do their laundry and do all the sort of shitty jobs that they don't want to do. But he seems happy with this because yeah. he, he's got a feeling there's a big scientific experiment going on and something something interesting might happen that he can cover here for his, uh, for his newspaper, presumably. A theme that was also... Quite featured in uh, Godzilla 98 as well. We get our first look at a creature on this island, which is, uh, I, w- I want to say small, but it's actually a, a praying mantis the size of a man. Um, so it's not that small, but it's not a kaiju as such. It's quite quite normal size. So we see this skulking through the jungle, and that's your, your indication there is maybe some weird uh, wildlife on this island that you're going to see pop up again and again here. Some weird sort of attempt at comedy here where... Um, the, the journalist washes the the spinach in with someone's underwear and no oh, they don't want to eat this because it's been in someone's underwear it's a bit weird um they mentioned that there is spinach native to the island so this is what they're going to be eating basically for as long as they're here so the journalist goes off to to pick spinach and he to his surprise he finds a, a beautiful woman swimming in a lagoon but then as soon as he sees her she disappears again so there's a suggestion that there is um some people already live on this island, apart from them. Um, we get lots of sort of scientific mumbo jumbo exposition here, where the uh, the main scientist explains that what they're trying to do is research some sort of climate manipulation control converter thing. Uh, the idea being that when we run out of space, or when they run out of space in Japan, which obviously is is it's not that hard to believe that they're going to be able to convert the wastelands of Siberia and the Sahara, etc., into uh, places where we can live. So there's this sort of interesting idea that they can control the weather and, I guess, ahead of its time in in terms of climate change and stuff like that. Um, But it's a countdown to what they call E-Day, or Experiment Day, when they're going to launch this sort of freezing thing. They're going to try and freeze and introduce a colder climate, I is pretty, pretty muddled up here, but we do end up at E-Day and they do launch this sort of little tiny balloon into the air and then it sprays loads of jets. Um, it seems to go wrong because it ends up just sort of ends up causing some sort of radioactive storm and they have to stay inside for three days while a fallout settles around the island. They can't come out and then they do come out. It's quite funny. I watched a dubbed version. They just say, "Well, those air conditioners kept us from roasting to death." Ha 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 ha. So yeah, always watch the dub of these films because it's much funnier. And as soon as they do come out, and they're thinking, "Oh, it's great," the fallout has settled. Everything's back to normal, and they do see again the the praying mantis, but it's now Godzilla-sized. So the nickname mantis is one of the names used, which which I like. It's a good name. There's a couple of these actually. And um, There's three Gigantuses, so there's not a lot of variety with the monsters in this one. Gimantis is your main sort of antagonist for Godzilla, and they do look pretty cool. You've got like big amber glowing eyes, and you know massive pincers and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. They dig up an egg out of the ground, and it kind of looks like a Mothra egg. So you sort of half thinking is Mothra going to show up, but in actual fact, it is the very first appearance of. Baby Godzilla, or son of Godzilla, or Minya, um, which is most commonly referred to as a combination of mini and Godzilla, Minya. He's he's dug up by by the gi- giantises, and they instantly start sort of poking him with their giant claws, and he's just making these pathetic, <coughs> sort of noises, very um, very child childlike, of baby sort of noises. And this is the kind of the, the distress call to Godzilla. So finally, you hear, you get about 20, 20 minutes or so in. Uh, you get a Godzilla sort of showing up properly here, coming out of the sea. Uh, he goes to town on the giant mantises, gives them body slams, busts out the atomic breath. Um, you get you get a lot of this in the late sixties showa Godzilla films. But there's a lot of um, chucking rocks at each other's heads. Kicking rocks like a football into people's heads. It's, uh, it's weird. But it is quite a staple of, of these these films at this time. Yeah, he eventually beats beats up the Giamantuses and roasts them with his atomic breath. It's like a flaming corpse, insect corpse. But I'm not sure it's very child-friendly. Um, but we're properly introduced here to the, the, the woman who was seen swimming earlier, who was actually called Reiko. And it's revealed that she's the son of um, an archaeologist or an explorer that came to the island years ago. Her mother died in childbirth and then her father died uh, quite a while afterwards. And for some reason, it's not really explained, but she speaks like a cave woman. You get the impression that maybe she did know how to speak, sort of normal. And then it's become more primitive over time. Again, I'm watching the dub version here, so it's stuff like we go Godzilla here, you know, just dropping unnecessary words from from the verbiage, which is, is weird um, not really explained, just that she's become a bit feral and a bit primitive from living on the island and it's revealed that she, um, she hid in a cave whilst the radioactive storm was happening, so hence why she's not like a 50 foot woman, which I thought was a bit of a shame, that could have been an interesting kind of twist, to have a massive human um, kaiju knocking about as well, to maybe help out Godzilla we get a lot of slapstick father and son comedy here. This is what they, you know, what they really wanted to get to in this film was was this madcap um, son of Godzilla stuff. So Minya is again like playing football with massive boulders. He's playing jump rope on Godzilla's tail. He can only blow atomic hoops at, at, at the beginning. He's not able to do a sustained breath. So you get these pathetic little like and these little. The rings of atomic breath come out. It's quite, it is quite quite funny. Visually, it looks quite good. It's around this time that all the scientists somehow catch uh, like island fever or jungle fever, whatever you want to call it, and they all become quite sick. So um, Reiko, the uh, feral woman, um, suggests they get the red water from the special place on the island. The red water will definitely heal them. But to get the red water, you have to get past the spiger. Not spider spiger <laughs> and one of the scientists says what is a spider and she just says it's a giant spider okay yeah this this character would later be called Kumonga uh, in later films which is a much better name and i think that's probably would refer to him as Kumonga instead uh we get one of the scientists here who's got a fever and he, you get this kind of crazy acting He's called Furukawa. He just gets up and starts flailing around and goes, aah, aah. Yeah, which is some pretty cheesy acting here. Again, baby Godzilla gets uh, gets into a bit of a scrap with a mantis tries out his atomic rings, and they're not really doing much. They're just kind of bouncing off the head of the mantis just annoying him, really. Um, but then it's at this point that Kumonga, the giant spider, emerges. And this is one of my favourite kaiju of this, of this period. You know, it's no, it's no King Ghidorah, it's no Mothra, but um, in terms of these low, low-key sort of Godzilla movies where they're, they're trying to get away from the main, the main uh, monsters and come up with something different, I think Kumonga is pretty cool. It's a sort of black and yellow stripy, massive spider, and its eyes are all kind of bejeweled and and sort of lit up and gleaming. It's it's pretty cool, and as a spider, as you'd expect, it's got the ability to shoot lots of webbing at at the other monsters to get them all kind of tangled up so they can't move the journalist and and the native girl they run into a cave to hide what I quite like about this film is obviously you get the men in suits and the the massive puppet sequences but you also get um, some massive physical props that have been built so that humans can interact with it. So earlier in the film, there's like massive gimantis claws coming down into it, like near a human, and you can see it's a real thing interacting with a real thing, which is always the key. Uh, with with the tokusatsu uh, films, Japanese films, the idea is it's all practical, and even modern day CGI films, uh, you know, often you'll find the real savvy ones they do still have sequences where a human interacts with something that's real, and you can you can always tell when that is the case, and it lends it lends a bit more. Um, depth to the to the creature effects. So, and there's another example of this where a massive long spider um, leg with a claw in the end comes into the into the cave and, and tries to get all the scientists and they're all having to dodge out of the way at this sort of real physical prop that's been like stuffed into the into the cave and I quite enjoyed that as well. So Kumonga, you know, completely webs up Minya and gymantis before they could even really have a proper scrap. It's at this time that the scientists are able to release the freezing unit, so there's, again, it's there's another attempt at them trying to send something up in a balloon and unleash some sort of um, gas or liquid, so they're hoping to go the other way this time, rather than unleash sort of a nuclear holocaust for a couple of days, they're going to try and freeze everything down so we get to a normal radioactivity level, and therefore there will be less giant monsters, and we won't burn to death is the idea, I think. We get a showdown here between Godzilla and Kumonga, which is the main sort of the main fight that Godzilla has in this film. Again, there's lots of rock throwing, um, double atomic blast. There's a bit where Kumonga kind of gets flipped upside down, so you think obviously it's it's done for, and then it shoots these little spikes out of its uh, mandibles, which I guess maybe some spiders can do. Um, that's pretty cool. Uh, so at this time that it starts snowing because the uh, the freezing um, ray, the freezing unit, has unleashed its its sort of gases. And it starts snowing down down on, on, on the island. And all the scientists are looking on dressed as Santa for some reason. They've got these red um, jackets with the white trim, I guess, to, really to indicate that it is cold. Because everyone's dressed like Santa. is a bit weird. Um, so we get this quite good final sequence where Godzilla and Kamonga are fighting in the snow... Godzilla and Minya both uh, focus their atomic breath on Kumonga and kind of gang up on it. Uh, and then that completely roasts the spider again. It's just flaming insect corpse. Yeah, Monster Island itself kind of just completely freezes. You get some sort of um, massive matte paintings of all the ice and the snow-capped mountains and stuff. It's quite a nice matte painting. You don't see that anymore, obviously. It's, it's quite good. And yeah, this is... Strange sort of scene here, really, where Godzilla and Minya just have a little hug in the snow, um, as, as Godzilla comforts his his son after this ordeal that they've been through. Yeah, the scientists say, Oh, well, don't worry, they're not going to die. It's they're going to hibernate in this um, in this freezing climate climate, and they're going to be fine." Again, it's a it's a strange uh, prescient sort of climate change allegory, um, or um, it's not intentional, maybe, but. But just like Godzilla versus Hedra, there was a whole, like, warning against pollution and smog and stuff like that in this one. There's a little bit of a a warning, I guess, against the weather and, you know, don't mess with with the weather and with the climate. It's kind of, it's vaguely grasping for some sort of deeper meaning, I guess. And then right at the end, a submarine comes to rescue them, but it comes out of the water really suddenly, and they're like, oh my god! Why didn't you tell us you were sending a submarine? We were terrified! And big laugh all the scientists are just happy to be getting off there and then just this sort of closing shot where where Godzilla and Minya are embraced but covered in snow and that's the end so yeah Son of Godzilla pretty cheesy film by by all accounts and more low-key than the other Godzilla films of the 60s it's more more like the Godzilla versus the sea monster you know it's all kind of surf beach boys influence, where everyone's wearing kind of Quite nice uh, tropical Hawaiian shirts, and 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 they're going for that kind of tropical island sort of vibe. There's some some more right fight sequences in it. The introduction of Kumonga is is pretty important in Godzilla history because it, it's pops up in a lot of the movies of this era afterwards. You know, as, as quite a good antagonist, son of Godzilla. You know, Minya. I still have mixed feelings on on him. Obviously, it's very goofy and slapstick, but some of it is genuinely funny and charming, and I'm sure kids kids find it funny. So I guess it's kind of a necessary evil. They wanted to draw draw a wider audience in. They didn't want people to be scared of these films necessarily. They wanted all the family to to enjoy the the Godzilla movies. And I guess you can't can't begrudge them too much. So, so after this would follow probably one of the best um, Showa era Godzilla films, Destroy All Monsters. Um, which I was able to see a couple of weeks ago. Um, Bristol Bad Film Club put on a screening, Godzilla Geddon, where they where they screened Godzilla nineteen fifty four and destroy all monsters, so shout out to the Bristol Bad Film Club. That's a great film. It's just a fantastic film. It was great to see it with an audience. Minya is in that as well. Very briefly at the end he pops up and uses his um uses his atomic hoops to um to restrain Ghidorah for a minute or two, which is which is comical. Um, but then after Destroy All Monsters the the series would really plunge again with a film called All Monsters Attack or Godzilla's Revenge that features Minya really heavily Uh, and it's such a kids film that the entire film is really um, a dream of a young boy Uh, and it's a real sort of um, after school special teaching kids to be respectful and um, behave yourself and make sure Make sure you do always do your best and that sort of thing. Just a complete sort of uh, lecture for, for little kids played out by, by massive kaiju. So that's possibly an even worse film than this. I would say probably is. Um, but this is the introduction of the son of Godzilla. And, you know, also a fairly low point for, for the 60s. But if you want to watch all the Godzilla films and you've seen a lot of the early 60s ones, you will eventually get to this one. But as far as the Showa era, you know, Destroy All Monsters is a lot better than this. Uh, Godzilla vs. Hedra is one of my favourites, and Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster, or Ebra. Quite similar to this film, all set on an island, but a, a, bit, a bit more fun. So yeah, go check out those 1960s Godzilla films, and you will eventually get to the son of Godzilla. So now we come to Godzilla 1998. So this was the very first American version, Western, Hollywood version of the the infamous Japanese character. A film that I, I watched to death when I was a kid, it was one of the, the VHS's that we had, one of maybe 10 or 12. I think we also had Independence Day, which is which is the film that Roland Emmerich was, was coming off here, so uh, definitely at the time I was a big fan of Roland Emmerich's style, smashy smashy disaster uh, blockbusters from the 90s. Nominated for many Razzie Awards, actually won two, one for Worst Remake or Sequel, and one for Worst Supporting Actress. Uh, Maria Petillo who plays Audrey in this film. Now this film I probably didn't didn't realize this when I was a kid but this film is 2 hours and 18 minutes long which is a hell of a slog. Uh, for any kind of disaster film action film. I believe Godzilla has around 11 minutes of screen time so for all the people who uh, who blasted Godzilla 2014 you want you want to take a look at the uh, the previous stats for how much Godzilla is in a film because Godzilla in this film 11 minutes total and doesn't show up till half an hour in. Um, but yeah this is this is a big budget 90s blockbuster version for the west uh, of Godzilla. It stars Matthew Broderick, who apparently committed to the film before he'd read a script, sadly for him, Jean Reno, who's just coming off of the back of uh, *Leon*, a very successful film. Um, but yeah, as I mentioned, this is Roland Emmerich, so this is the guy that did *Stargate*, *Independence Day*. He was a real, becoming a real powerhouse in nineties uh, sci-fi action blockbusters, so that's why he gets his hands on this one. Apparently he didn't didn't like Godzilla movies. He'd never really seen a Godzilla movie and he only took the project on if he could do whatever the hell he wanted with it. And he did, unfortunately. Opening credits here is a weird sort of montage which combines nuclear testing in the South Pacific with lots of footage of iguanas and Komodo dragons and stuff, so I think it's very clear where we're going here. It's never cle- very clearly said that it is an iguana, but the, the strong suggestion here in the opening is that, yeah, that's why this creature does look how it does look, and we'll get to that. This film opens much like Santa Godzilla and every other Godzilla film in the, the South Pacific. Uh, fishing boats, storms, and strange um, swelling and crunching and, and ships being being savage, basically. And, yeah, when we get our introduction to Matthew Broderick's character, uh, inexplicably, Matthew Broderick is playing a Greek man in this film. I don't know why. I'm fairly certain Matthew Broderick is not Greek. Um, Nick Totopolis, although everyone gets his name wrong in a, in a faint xenophobia. Everyone calls him Topopopopolis and all this sort of stuff. Um, he's this kind of a nuclear a nuclear scientist who's been studying the the effects of radiation on animals and direct mutations that can be caused. Primarily he's doing this in Chernobyl, as you'd expect, seeing how the earthworms there have have increased in size and aggressiveness and that sort of thing. But um, the army show up and tell him he's being reassigned. We then jet over to Tahiti, uh, where Jean Moreno is introduced here as uh, Philippe, uh, a a mysterious Frenchman. And we get this... um, this footage here of this old man that survived the fishing boat disaster which uh, this bit made me crack up when i was a kid just this old guy just going good year. Oh, good year good year. as a lighter is, is passed in front of his face laugh out loud even as a kid i thought that was pretty silly and we jet straight over to panama we are like all over the world here it's just like a, a bond film and it's globe trotting. Uh, in panama Matthew Broderick's character Nick is flown out there and just to see that there are giant footprints and then it was realised obviously there's a, an enormous animal on the loose and then we end up in Jamaica um, where a ship has been kind of clawed with three claws down the side and uh, basically you, you get the impression here that uh, Godzilla has uh, started in the South Pacific, swam all the way over to America, hopped over Panama and just sprinted across the very narrow stretch of land there and gone through the Caribbean, now he's on his way to New York City, or as they caption it in the film, they just call it the city that never sleeps. You can't just call it New York City, that's not really explained but here you're introduced to um, the character Audrey uh, played by Maria Pitillo, the previously mentioned uh, Razzie award winning worst supporting actress, She she is pretty bad throughout um she's joined by harry shearer here is a her boss uh, charles cayman and um, you'd rec- recognize the voice certainly of harry shearer from the simpsons speaking of the simpsons is also hank azaria um plays the character of animal here and even uh, nancy cartwright uh, pops up as well so between the three simpsons actors in this film you've got characters like mo principal skinner nelson bart simpson chief wiggum the good, the good bulk of all Simpsons characters are in this film, or <laughs> well, not not being uh, voiced, but but they're all in here. Oh no, we we get one of my favourite scenes from from when I first saw this film, and was used as the teaser a lot of the a lot of the trailers as well. An old man goes out into a fishing pier. The locals are saying, "Are oh, you never going to catch anything? Why do you keep going fishing?" And he throws his line in, and he gets a bite. He's like, "What?" Oh boy, I've really got a bite here. And then you get this awesome like, wide shot of the water swelling up in front of him. And then the creature coming towards him, busting all the planks up in the air, bit one by one, just flipping them up as he runs back towards the camera down the pier. And I have to give credit to, to Roland Emmerich here. This is a really great shot, a really great sequence, and probably the high point of the film. In fact, I think... I mean, I know it's a two-hour film, so the first half hour probably couldn't count as the first act, but I I think the first act of this film is the strongest, and it tends to go downhill around about this point, and this is when the creature emerges from the water, and you get your first look at Roland Emmerich's designed Godzilla, or as a lot of the fans refer to this creature, just Zilla, to, to differentiate it from what Godzilla usually looks like. Now that's that's due to this creature really looking quite different from your traditional Godzilla. It looks like a big iguana, as I said earlier. Anyone, anyone who thought that the opening sequence was just you know metaphorical, um, you're going to look pretty stupid because no, this this is an iguana that's been made massive by radiation. It's got a very long throat with the sort of little pouches and stuff like that it's sort of everything that that the original godzilla isn't it's very muscular <laughs> slender legged it can run super fast it's got a massive jaw and a chin it, it's just they feels like they've gone the completely the opposite way just for the sake of it to, to try and make it different i read that actually the producers here were given a 75 page dossier by toho studios obviously when they agreed to license out the character telling him what they could and couldn't do and they said that Godzilla can't eat people only fish he's got to have three rows of dorsal plates no more or less than three toes on his feet and four fingers on his hands he cannot be made to look silly and he cannot die in the movie in case you were wondering all of these points were completely ignored um, which is why Toho took a very long time to let the American studios have another go at the character further down the line also, as I mentioned, this is the first appearance of Godzilla here at the 26-minute mark. So that sounds like a long time into the film, but this is a two-hour, 18-minute film. So I guess it's not that late in the day. Um, so the Zilla runs amok here, bit of smashing, nice blend of, of practical and digital effects. Like he bites into a bus then you cut to the inside of the bus and you see like real teeth coming in the side. So a, a, again, the, the digital effects have... Haven't dated brilliantly, particularly not in the daylight scenes, but the, the, the little chops of, of the practical stuff kind of make, make up for it and save it a little bit. Just a really sort of athletic looking iguana. He can run super quickly through the streets of, of New York. Uh, now, the girlfriend of Animal, the cameraman, Hank Azaria's character, she is not in the film too much, but she does have some of the more interesting uh, dialogue, especially for so recently in, in time. She refer, uh, Animal starts chasing Godzilla down the street with his camera, trying to get a good shot of the monster as it goes overhead, and she refers to him both as a retard and a crazy wop, um, which is pretty... Pretty shocking dialogue, even for 1998. Um, Luckily, she's not in this too much. Uh, He is nearly squashed um, by Zilla, but uh, evades it and manages to get his news footage. Charles Kamen, uh, Harry Shearer's character here, says this is the worst disaster since the World Trade Center bombing, which is a very dated, unfortunate line. Um, We get our first little little blast of the soundtrack here as well, which is something I also had on... um, cassette at the time, uh, Puff Daddy and Jimmy Page inexplicably came together for a collaboration on this soundtrack for Come With Me, which is kind of a reworking of uh, of an old Led Zeppelin song, but with Puff Daddy rapping on the top, which is perhaps a, a strange indication of Puff Daddy's popularity at the time. Jean Reno's character, Philippe has lots of scenes here with his French colleagues which are supposed to be comic relief but they really don't work and it's lots of stuff like why can't we get any croissants, why are there only donuts, this coffee is disgusting, what, what do you call this, I call this America, just kind of real lazy um, you come from this part of the world now you're in this part of the world kind of comedy which it doesn't make anyone laugh surely and you know Jean Reno does have some okay comedy later on in the film but for the most part we're cutting away to these French um, secret service people hiding out in hotel rooms and fake UPS trucks and it's just like, where is this going, what's the point of this and it won't pay off for a very long time so until you get there you you just kind of scratching your head really so Nick Totopoulos comes up with his um, genius plan here to lure Godzilla out of hiding he's gone into hiding somewhere, the sewers I guess and um, they get a big pile of fish here dumped out into the street. They open up all the manhole covers. And that's going to be the the bait for Godzilla to come out of the sewers. And this is your your first kind of reference to Jurassic Park. Not the last. I say reference, just ripping off Jurassic Park repeatedly throughout this film. No sooner than you've had a Jurassic Park reference, you get a Jaws reference with a, a, a dolly zoom onto Nick when he hears zilla roaring and coming up and cracking the pavement so just um you know unashamed kind of rip-offs of, of much better monster movies much better disaster movies left right and center here zilla does come out the ground and it's kind of dark and raining and i got to say the, the cgi effects do look a lot better in, uh, when it's a bit darker and there's no harsh kind of light background to frame him against we get a brief kind of i guess atomic breath he breathes a bit of uh, breath which turns into fire and sets fire to the cars. Now, it's it, it said on IMDb that uh, Roland Emmerich didn't really want any atomic breath. He just wanted the creature to be able to kind of breathe out, and that would cause like massive gusts of of wind, like a sonic boom or something. But obviously, doesn't look great on camera. So I think they eventually conceded and had some sort of fiery breath, but it's not used too much. Again, that that would be too much like the actual Godzilla character that they were meant to be. Portraying and and Roland Emmerich wasn't really interested in that. Zilla is chased through the sort of streets of New York with the skyscrapers, so it's like these sort of canyon um, type things. And um, he's being chased by a fighter pilot who's kind of locking on, and you get the kind of eight bit computer screen grid. So this is a Star Wars reference, in case you're, you're keeping score. Um, I guess Top Gun reference, the amount of, of fighter planes and people with names on their helmets and stuff at this point. Um, but they accidentally blow up the Chrysler Building, which everyone thinks is the Empire State Building, but it's not, it's the Chrysler Building, and that kind of falls into the into the street. I mean, the, the American military in this film are incredibly shit and inept at shooting this massive monster that's, that's storming through the streets. Although it's moving quite fast, it seems like 10 or 15 helicopters can't really achieve much, can't really hit him with all their missiles. And they they make the excuse that, well, the heat-seeking missiles don't work because it's a a reptile and they're cold-blooded, but it's pretty inexcusably shit military action here. Nick and Audrey end up reunited, and the music you get over this romantic sort of rekindling is actually kind of the same as the music all through the film. It's kind of schmaltzy, Disney, tinkling of... Um, wind chimes and stuff like that. The score for this movie is, is pretty shit when you compare it to um, the classic Godzilla scores or even the more recent ones, which have been brilliant. You know, even even when they're not incorporating the classic Godzilla sounds, they've come up with their own interesting scores and menacing kind of booming drums and brass. This is just like copy and paste '90s, you know, cheesy score here, and it, it's not great. Nick gives a bit of a scientific uh, exposition update here for everyone that's interested. Um, This creature is a burrower, it's a reptile, it's evolved for the radiation. Um, And also he is pregnant. And he explains, which I guess it's always been true, he explains that Godzilla is asexual, doesn't need another Godzilla to mate and to reproduce. It can just lay an egg and out comes... Um, Outcomes of Baby Godzilla. So I, I guess that was also true in Son of Godzilla. Well, they don't um, get into the, the finer points of Godzilla's reproductive organs because um, it's a kids' film. Yeah, he's pregnant and he's nesting in New York. He came all the way from French Polynesia to New York for reasons undefined. Unfortunately, Audrey, in an attempt to further her journalistic career, steals uh, a tape labeled Top Secret. Um, from on top of his TV and uh, she she gives it to her news station who tells them everything that he told her and then you get Harry Shearer again giving the the report here saying that well this creature is called Godzilla and it's a mythical sea dragon referred to by Japanese sailors and she says oh he's not pronouncing it right it's meant to be Gojira and that's the reason. That's where the, the Godzilla name comes from, which I guess is sort of true. Godzilla is an, an anglicised version of Gojira, but down to him being a, a bit of a bumbling fool who can't pronounce Japanese words correctly. When this is broadcast on the news, uh, Matthew Broderick and all his. Military uh, bigwigs are, are sitting around, and they see all this top secret information broadcast on the news. And this is one of the times when when Broderick's acting is is pretty shocking, really, when he's trying to look surprised and innocent, and like he didn't know this was going to happen. So he just keeps like looking from left to right and going, "Wow, oh no, what? Wow!" It's like yeah, that's all he can think of to portray confusion. And um unexpectedness, but yeah, he's he's off the case, basically he's off the mission because of leaking this top secret information. Uh, he sees Audrey again and knows he's, he's pissed off and you know she's she's upset that she's ruined his, his scientific career and that sort of thing. Uh, more importantly, they don't listen to him now when he tells them that Godzilla is nesting and that there's going to be lots of little Godzillas because they don't trust him anymore. So he, he gets sent off to the airport but is then intercepted and hijacked by Philippe, uh, who takes him to the uh, the French ha- headquarters and explains that they also believe Godzilla is nesting and they also want to stop uh, the baby Godzillas from, from hatching and taking over the city. Oh, At this point you get a little little, ta- another little another taster of the soundtrack in Jim Miraquai, who did Deeper Underground. This was another one of the, the music videos and uh, main sort of adverts for this film at the time a popular banjo miracle at the time at this point the film really really starts to drag and we're about hour and a half in maybe uh, usually films would be wrapping up about this time but you get the sense it when we're, we're nowhere near done here you get a, a series of repetitive kind of military encounters the military think they've killed godzilla so they're like yay great let everyone back into the city but if you, if you believed Godzilla was killed with one with one sort of fell swoop here, then, yeah, you don't know what's coming. All the French and Nick get into Madison Square Garden, which is where all the eggs are, followed by Audrey and Animal, who have followed them in there so they can, again, get a new story. They haven't learnt their, their lesson here. The whole arena is full of these massive eggs, which looks to me to be an alien reference, and then the eggs start hatching, and, yeah, lots of baby Godzillas hatch out, but... They don't really look like the big Godzilla. They look like Velociraptors. So we're back again. The film, once they've uh, seemingly killed off the, the main Zilla, the film descends back into Jurassic Park imitation, and that's not a strong suit really. And again, Jurassic Park here is five six years ago, so they're not they're not very timely with their cashing in. In fact, the Mario Brothers movie was quicker on cashing in, and these. These baby Godzillas look a bit like Yoshi from the Mario Brothers movie. So they're, they're a bit late in the day here. I know there's a sequel, Jurassic Park sequel, probably out around this time. But, yeah, all the French uh, Secret Service are chased all around Madison Square Garden and eaten by these Velociraptor baby Godzillas. They managed to patch in and get a live news report showing the world that there are loads of little baby Godzillas in Madison Square Garden so that the colonel gives the order, ''Blow up, Madison Square Garden!'' Um, so they do, and yeah, that's the fake ending. I guess probably the second opportunity they would have had to end the film. This is about an hour and 50 minutes in, so you pretty impatient here, pretty bored. Um, but it's not the end, because Zilla returns and comes out of the ashes of, of Madison Square Garden, chased all around the city, they're, they're all in a taxi, trying to drive away, and Zilla's chasing them around various parts of New York. It's just it's pretty boring by this point. How anyone could care, you know. You've, this film's already ended at least twice. You know why is this still happening? We're we're over two hours in now. You know it's just it's getting pretty boring. But they end up coiling it up on the Brooklyn Bridge, the suspension bridge, and right towards the end they try and get a bit of sympathy for the Godzilla character purely so they can do the King Kong ending where the creature is is dead on the ground and you hear the heartbeat going and Matthew Broderick can come up to it and sort of look at it with his doe eyes and go, oh, just thinking, what have we done? You know, we've, we've killed this poor creature uh, who was, you know, just being an animal. It's just lame, again, trying to emulate movies that are better than than this, this movie, you know. If one rip-off ending wasn't enough, you then get a very slow crawl through to Madison Square Garden, which is on fire, and you get one Godzilla egg that's still there which, to my mind, is the ending of Critters, the first Critters, the ending of a lot of a lot of monster movies, I guess. But it's just it's lame, and you know I'm sure they wished they were going to be doing a couple of sequels to this movie, but they they were not going to because this movie bombed uh, across the board. People hated it. Godzilla fans hated it. Toho hated it. They would m- soon make their own Godzilla film after this to 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 reclaim the character. So yeah, that's Godzilla ninety eight, and I, I guess the The question is, what is wrong with this film? You know, I mean, if you look at this in isolation as a 90s disaster movie blockbuster, along the lines of Deep Impact, Armageddon, Independence Day, it fits in with all that stuff perfectly, really. Although it's a bit longer than those films, I feel like it is. Um, It kind of fits in with all that great, and and I loved it when I was a kid, but I didn't really know what Godzilla films were. But, I mean, the problem here, as I've mentioned, this film rips off about six other films but none of those films are Godzilla films it's it's obsessed with being Jurassic Park or Jaws uh, or Alien or Star Wars but not once does it try to be Godzilla you know i think maybe the only part that felt like a Godzilla movie was the the, the fishing boats being wrecked out at sea you know apart from that that it doesn't look like Godzilla they use the raw on and off Sometimes you can hear the classic roar. Sometimes it's just running down the street, just going, ee, ee, um, sounding like a, a pretty stupid uh, incarnation of, of the character, pretty pretty lame. So yeah, they just the capital's sin really. They they fail to 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 make this character feel like Godzilla, uh, hence fail to make the film feel like Godzilla, and was really just a, a bit of a Jurassic Park clone. So yeah yeah they were never allowed to make a sequel to this and it would take 16 years for uh, legendary to be given the reins to make uh, to make their movie uh, which they did in 2014 and, and now we've got king of the monsters and kong vs. godzilla coming up so you know the franchise is, is back you know in in the western the western side of things and, and doing a lot better than than it did here so that's godzilla 98 the first attempt to to get a western godzilla movie going so, out of these two films, uh, they're both pretty bad. Son of Godzilla is really cheesy, really dumb, but Godzilla 98 is, is is so dumb, it's so long, it's so boring, and it, it so much fails to to include any Godzilla type content that uh, I would have to say Son of Godzilla would be your better option here. As cheesy as it is, it's still the classic character. It looks like Godzilla, sounds like Godzilla, and fights typical godzilla villains i mean godzilla in godzilla 98 doesn't even fight any other monsters you know it's always a little bit a little bit dull when when godzilla doesn't have any other monsters to fight so yeah stick stick with son of godzilla and the japanese classics here uh, if, you, if you if you want to pick one uh recommendations if you want if you want more of well if you want more of godzilla 98 look at roland emmerich's films you got stargate and independence day which are okay Um, I would say 2012, the film that he did about the the Mayan end of the world, is probably his best thing because it is knowingly over-the-top and ludicrous. Um, It's basically a disaster film that includes every potential type of natural disaster possible. So there's tsunamis, earthquakes, super volcanoes, all sorts of nonsense. So if you want want Roland Emmerich done properly, um, I, I would go for 2012. And if you want more Godzilla films that are similar to Santa Godzilla, like I said, Destroy All Monsters, *Ebera*, Horror of the Deep, Godzilla vs. Hedra, those those are all great films as well. Uh, but now onto feedback. Now, we did receive uh, quite a bit of feedback here um, on Instagram and Twitter. Let me have a look here. So, uh, on Instagram... Uh, customers also watched podcast. Said, "Why does Roland Emmerich hate Godzilla? Did he have a traumatic incident with a lizard in his childhood, or a bad experience watching one of the earlier films?" And yeah, I think I mentioned earlier that God's um, that Roland Emmerich admitted he he didn't like Godzilla films. <laughs> Why he was allowed to make to make a Godzilla film, who knows? But yeah, maybe he also did have some sort of uh, iguana. Running when he was a kid. Who knows? On Twitter, we had Kaiju ren who said, "98 is a terrible Godzilla movie, but a fun giant monster movie. Son of Godzilla is sweet, cheesy, and honestly one of my favorites from childhood." And yeah, I think I think you've sort of nailed what I was saying earlier about Son of Godzilla. If you are a kid, you're probably thinking this is great because you've got this little kid version of Godzilla that you can kind of relate to. And yeah, I I think uh, you've got to go easy on it for that reason. And um, like I said. 98 godzilla it's a it's not a bad monster movie it's just a bad godzilla movie cat friendly bakery on twitter which is an awesome name uh godzilla 98 is bad in a funny way as long as you understand that's what you're going into a bad but funny giant monster film and son of godzilla is classic fun it's undeniably cheesy but that only makes it so enjoyable i would agree with you again on son of godzilla it is it is super cheesy it's that you have to laugh but I don't know that I laugh much at Godzilla 98. It's it's two hours and 18 minutes long. Uh, there's not too much to laugh at there. Um, Matthew Broderick's acting, Maria Patillo's acting, certainly quite laughable. Jean Reno made me chuckle a few times with his with his acting. Uh, he does an Elvis impression and he chews gum to appear more American. That that's generally quite funny. I think maybe I've seen it more times than you, Cat Friendly Bakery, but I, I, I'm not laughing anymore at Godzilla 98. I'm afraid. And yeah, if you want to get in touch with us in the future, leave us feedback uh, on any of the films we've reviewed or suggest any films for us to review, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Tactics. As I mentioned at the beginning, the reason why we're doing a Godzilla episode here is because King of the Monsters, or Godzilla 2, legendary second Godzilla film, has just come out in cinemas. Now, I'm not going to get into that here now, but if you keep an eye on our YouTube channel, schlock tactics youtube channel go and follow that now and subscribe now a little bit later in the week i'm going to be releasing a mini review this is part of new content we're going to be releasing on youtube where i'm going to review very brief reviews of of more recent films because i have opinion on uh, not bad films as well as bad films so keep an eye on youtube in the next week or so Keep an eye on our social media, our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And I will be releasing a little mini-review of Godzilla King of the Monsters to let you know what I thought. Obviously, opinion is divided here amongst critics and Godzilla fans. King of the Monsters, is it good? Is it terrible? Depends who you ask, but I'm going to let you know what I thought of that, so keep your eyes peeled on that. But yeah, as far as this podcast, obviously you want to subscribe to the podcast to make sure you get a new episode every time we publish one. Uh, give us a five star rating on iTunes if you wouldn't mind, that would help the show as well. But yeah, that has been another episode of Schlock Tactics. Uh, my name is Ben Ash and I will see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye.